to Building Stronger Creatives, a fitness podcast for musicians, artists, nerds, and former misfits. I'm a former out-of-shape professional musician turned personal trainer and nutrition coach to hundreds of clients, and I'll give you no-nonsense information about what it really takes to get and stay fit within the context of a creative life. Here, you'll find practical advice on strength and endurance training, sane and simple nutrition, habit building, and time management tools to help you make lifestyle changes that actually stick. Most fitness coaches have no clue what it really means to be a creative, whether you're a professional or a passionate hobbyist. I'm different. I've been where you are, and I share your values. Let me show you how you can use the gym to build a kick-ass creative life. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Building Stronger Creatives podcast. I'm very excited because today we have another guest interview. Uh, this is someone that I I don't honestly know how I just discovered her work. Thank you, Instagram algorithm. But when I found her, I was super excited because I think she's doing really awesome stuff. It's super important in the musical world, and we were able to connect via Zoom uh sometime last year i don't remember late summer august august something like that yeah but i'm excited to have her on the podcast to share her expertise and we were uh i'm hoping that we're gonna have an awesome conversation about strength training for musicians and then whatever else just happens to come up um so angela if you don't mind just introducing yourself a little bit about who you are and what you do sure and i think we connected because i was in chicago in august for the national flute association convention yes and somehow i think the algorithm like picked up I was posting stuff about being in Chicago and you live in Chicago and blah 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 this is why this is why social media really works sometimes because I had no idea you existed and vice versa and here we are so I, I love that um yeah. so anyway a brief back history on myself uh my name Angela McHouston my business is called Music Strong LLC and uh we just got trademarked this week so that's exciting that's all that's all congrats thank you uh, that was quite the lengthy process for anybody who wants to know. Um, but the uh, the good news is it's all done and we're ready to go. And what I do is I focus on strength training for musicians. And the reason why I focus on strength is because when I got started, I started realizing that musicians love to stretch, but we don't know what to stretch. But then we don't strengthen. So it's like you have two sides of this coin, right? We have uh, the side where if you only stretch what's tight, but you never strengthen what's weak, that cycle of dysfunction is just going to continue. So the other part of it is that we tend to not know what to stretch. We just stretch what's, what hurts. And in my research, I found out a lot of times what hurts is actually weak. So we could be making the problem worse. So a bit of backstory is that um, I've had, I'm a flute player and I've had four different playing related injuries. Um, you can like all on my website, musicstrong.com in the media about section, I go into all of that, but the short version is that, uh, every time I got uh, injured, I'd go see a doctor and they would just say, well, just quit playing. Like that's an option. This is not a hobby, bro. I mean, like, you know, like this is my career. Um, my second injury, I was in graduate school at Florida state for flute performance. I'm in the gym. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just following whatever the magazines say, because that's what I want to look like. And, you know, I love to exercise, but I don't know what good form is. I don't, I don't know anything. So um, I'm in the gym and I'm doing like a dumbbell inclined dumbbell press. And I feel this sharp pain behind my shoulder blade. If there is one area of the body that I hear more than another where people hurt, it's behind the shoulder blade, right? And that is because that area is weak. It gets stretched to the front so much because whether you're playing a brass instrument, a woodwind instrument, harp, percussion, sitting at an audio soundboard, whatever it is, our arms are in front. And then we have this hunched posture from what we do all day, whether it's being in front of a computer, driving, eating, folding laundry, whatever, vacuuming, you know, anything is in front of the body. We don't do a whole lot to strengthen that area behind the shoulder blades. And since I wasn't bracing my spine properly and I didn't know what I was doing, that area just gave out and I tore the muscle back there which is what a strain is in case you didn't know. Um, I know you do, but for those who aren't listening uh, and I go see the, the doctor at Florida state at health services. And he says, yeah, you need to rest. Um, I'm preparing for recitals. I'm in school for performance. You can't tell me to quit playing it. He goes, well, here's some muscle relaxers and a prescription for some massage. 
which made me real sleepy, which did not go over well in my, uh, I took those and I didn't know what the side effects were. I just took it. And then I went into my next class, which was me, two other graduate assistants and the teacher. There's four of us in this room and we're very tight quarters and I'm falling asleep right in front of her. It did not go over well with her at all. <laughs> I can imagine that would not go over well. <laughs> no, no. So, you know, and fast forward, I had two more injuries and it's just like, it was the same exact thing. Every time I thought there has got to be another answer. This is, this is a lazy answer. You don't tell an athlete to quit soccer or football or baseball just because they pulled a hamstring or threw out a shoulder that you don't tell them to quit. Why are you telling us to quit? What, do, what do they have that we don't have? They have a whole, they have a whole team of people. You know, they have athletic trainers, they have physical therapists, they have massage, they have all these things. What do we not have? And then I started looking into the research. And if you're watching this, you can see the, the poster behind me says 90% of musicians will be injured. There's a study that is actually in my book that I quote that said up to 93% of musicians will experience playing related pain or injury over the course of their careers. And that number is absolutely astounding. It's one of the highest injury rates of any profession above you know, construction workers and everything else. But we keep quiet about it because there's a stigma, right? And so when I had my third playing related injury, I this is where this is where Music Strong got started, or partially. <laughs> so I go see this doctor. I'm cramming for an audition. And uh, the thing is, most of these I was cramming for something. You cannot cram on an instrument. You just it just doesn't work. <laughs> as much bad. as we want it to work, it doesn't work. <laughs> it does not. And do I know better? Yes. Did I? Yeah, I did anyway. And I suffered for it, right? I couldn't put, I was cramming for a piccolo audition for the president's own. I ended up not being able to straighten out my right arm. I had spasms in my back. I couldn't breathe. I thought something's not right. So I go to like the bone and joint clinic. Doctor tells me to quit playing. I say, you're fired. I'm tired of this answer. Give me something else. Oh, I got a cream. Like what's going on? He said, well, here's the problem. And he was the first doctor ever actually explained this to me. And he said, what's going on is you have a muscle imbalance between this muscle in your back, which is spasming and spasming, spasming, whatever. Spasming, I think, but I think so. Funny word. <laughs> you know? And it's because it's weak. And what's happening is the muscle over your, your pec muscle on the left side where your arm comes in front of your body, because I'm playing piccolo, it's small, right? And I'm just super tense. And what's happening there is that muscle is so tight. You've got a trigger point in that muscle. And ordinarily, because yours is so bad, I would give you like a shot of cortisone right in the middle of that muscle to calm it down. The problem is it's over your heart. So it would kill you. Probably. Just a little problem. <laughs> <laughs> just looked at him like, you're, you're okay. So plan B beside, okay, plan C. Cause first was just to quit playing. Like I have an audition next week. I put a lot of time, money and effort into this. And he said, well, I'll give you a cream and you can try that. And then you should rest. And I was like, yeah, I'll take your cream and you're fired. Like this is enough. Enough is enough is enough. And it's like, okay, I'm looking around going, there have got to be resources for us musicians. And there were none at that point. If there were, I couldn't find any because social media was still kind of in its infancy. This was like around 2008, nine, seven, something like that. There was not a whole lot of anything. And I thought, screw this. I'm going to be your resource. I've always loved fitness. So I decided to check into being a personal trainer because I've always loved fitness and thought, I wonder if training people, training, like, you know, training your body is kind of like private lessons on your instrument, but for your body. And it was, it was just like that. And just being able to empower people with, you know, more body awareness, with strength, with, with confidence, it just, it clicked. And the, the uh, personal training certification I got really focused on muscle imbalances. And that's where the light bulb went off. And I went, oh my gosh, this is what we're missing. And it's not rocket science. It's nothing crazy hard. But if you have no knowledge about how the body works, how it moves, you don't have to know all the names of the muscles, but if you don't know where they are, what they do, what they inhibit when it comes to movement and how they're used when you play your instrument, of course, it's a matter of time before something breaks or something hurts. And that's something we can change. So that's how I got started. I love that. It's amazing to me how many people I've heard say similar experiences with doctors where the doctor was like, well, just stop playing. I mean. I think it speaks to a broader cultural thing about the way we view artists and musicians as it's not a real job and we don't take it seriously. And I also think it speaks to this disconnect between the physicality of 
really all art, not just music, but music is physical, I think, in an obvious way, but I don't think that that's taught in schools and I don't think people think about it. So you mentioned how professional athletes have a whole team of people that they work with. And while musicians don't necessarily need that to the degree that an athlete does, I do think that especially as you're getting older and you're dealing with life and injuries and things that come up, like having some sort of a, you know, working with trainers or, or uh, physical therapists or massage therapists, like whatever you need is really helpful. I'm curious, since you've been coaching for, I think over 10 years now, right? The fitness side of your business. Yeah. Very cool. 13, I think. Okay. Congrats. Have you, have you noticed any change in the way that we talk about injury and pain with musicians? I'm curious what you've seen over that time. Yes, finally, but it has been incredibly slow going. Incredibly. It's like dinosaur pain, but (laughs) Like for the last 10 years, I felt like there was almost nothing. And then when the pandemic hit, I don't know if this was just what I saw on my end because I was spending more time online and so was everybody else. But I feel like in the last three years or so, things have really started to pick up or maybe there's just more awareness. But um, yeah, I've definitely seen more of that. I've been giving uh, workshops at schools for the, well, how I started this was at, I was at the Florida Flute Association convention back in like, nine um right after i got my certification and i gave a presentation on i think it was called basic strength training for flute players i mean it was super basic right but nothing had been there there'd never been a topic like that ever and the room was just full of people and they're like this hurts this hurts but this lady came up to me and she said my arms go numb when i play do you know what's wrong (laughs) um no that's kind of a big deal (laughs) like that's not okay And that's actually really common, sadly. Uh, And people don't talk about it. They just think it's part of it. It's not. But long story short, she she asked if I traveled to give workshops. I said, no, but I could. And so Music Strong was born out of that. And so I've been traveling to give these workshops at different schools. And uh, it's just been a progression from, from there. And seeing seeing the different schools and how they approach wellness in their musicians has been really eye-opening. Um, NASM, which is the National, uh, I'm trying to say the National Academy of Sports Medicine, which is what it's I have. It's National Ca- Association of Association. Schools of Music. Right? I'm also NASM certified yeah. as a trainer. And so when I found that there was another NASM in the music world, it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> strange, keep them- strange coincidence. Yes. The schools of music, they have, uh, they have a, a little clause in their, in their manual that basically says you have to show how you're keeping your musicians healthy. So most of these schools will just put up a PDF on the website and think that covers it. And so when I did a workshop, I think it was at UT Knoxville, the dean came by and said, I'm so glad you're here. This workshop helps us fill our NASM accreditation requirements. I went, what? He goes, you got to look into that. So I did. And I'm starting to find out that there are more and more schools that are starting to promote this. It's on the school level, it's still really really slow and this is a whole conversation to get into about that because you know they're they're also slow about entrepreneurship and all that kind of stuff not to interrupt you but is that a new provision for nasm or has that been around a long time it's been around for a while because that conversation i had was probably 2012 2013 so that's been around for a while but you know we haven't seen that and so if you look on different schools of music you will see probably something on the website, but it's not much. Just it's lip service, like, basically. Yeah, here's how to protect your hearing. Here's where to get earplugs. It's like that stuff. It's super vague, super small, not very helpful, but it checks the box, right? So over the last decade or so, I've seen just like little bits here and there, but over the last three years, I've really seen a whole lot more. Um, so are you, are you part of PAMA? Yes, I am. For anyone listening, by the way, PAMA is the Performing Arts Medicine Association. So they connect musicians and other performing artists with medical resources, as well as people that work in like the physical world, world. so uh, physical therapists and trainers and things like that. Yes. So I just joined them this year. It's been one of my things on the list forever. And I thought I didn't really see any value out of it because their website, no offense, is terrible. It's yeah, it needs a little work. No offense, PAMA. A little work. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they, they came out with something a couple of years ago that was like a, a little certification course. And they, there were so many people in the musician space that were interested in health and wellness that started taking that. And I think that 
allowed more people to get interested in it, to be more involved and to kind of start promoting this. And so now the ball is finally rolling. Just in the last three years, I've seen a, a bigger shift towards people talking about it, having a little less stigma, you know, the whole mental health aspect of the, of, of the pandemic and how that affected musicians translates also over into physical health. So, I mean, that the whole thing just changed right there. Like the last three years has been the biggest shift I've seen. Well, that's very encouraging. I mean, when I was in music school, I've shared this story on the podcast before. I can't remember if I told you, but the main professor in my studio is Australian and he was always very active and he loved to swim and do a bunch of stuff. And so he made it a part of our studio culture that he encouraged people to work out. He didn't necessarily provide specific instructions, but he used to do this thing where when we had our weekly studio class, he would go around the room and make everybody say what they had done for exercise, which, you know, maybe not the best for some people, but in the time that I was there, I did my undergrad there, there were like four or five other people, not even including myself, because I was one as well, that started working out and doing a bunch of stuff physically that improved their health and their playing. And so, it was a part of the culture in my studio. But other than that, I cannot remember any exposure or education that I had to anything related to fitness or physicality beyond the technique work that you needed to play the instrument. So it's really encouraging to see it. I mean, I see it myself in my work and to hear it from you who've, who've been in this uh, like fitness music world longer than me. So what do you say? So people are maybe coming around to the idea that they need to focus on their physical health. What do you say to people that are still reluctant about strength training specifically? Because the one thing that I used to hear a lot when I was in music school is this, a bunch of ideas really about how strength training will negatively affect your playing. It'll affect your fine motor control. You'll be some dumb jacked meathead who can't play your instrument anymore. Uh, a whole bunch of things about how it would affect you negatively. And that was not my personal experience. And obviously as a coach, I don't believe that, but I'm curious what you say to people because I'm sure you still hear that or see that sometimes in the music world yeah with the uh with the clients who come to me obviously not because they've already they've already made the decision they drank the kool-aid yeah they're (laughs) they're seeking me out because they're like i gotta do something it's usually at that point where it's like i gotta do something before it's too late right but for the the rest of people who are not feeling physical effects from playing yet or they're in the music school and they they don't know (laughs) let me just say you are not going to get jacked, yoked, or swole just from picking up a dumbbell. You're gross. I wish it was that easy. I've been trying <laughs> to get jacked for so long, and it's just not happening as fast as I want it to happen. But that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> I know. It's like a full-time job. I mean, yeah. If you really want to be huge and, and you know, just blow up and whatnot, you're going to have to work at it so hard. I mean, it it is like a second job with the nutrition and the training and the, oh my gosh, it's just so much. So strength training, what I would say is that anything you do that has resistance is strength training, picking up your groceries, especially if you do it in one trip is your instruments. I mean, I played trombone, so you'd be carrying two trombones and a huge bag of music. Like, what is that if not strength? (laughs) Right. Look at these bass players who have to haul their amps around. Those are not lightweight, right? So strength training is just that it's resistance, right? It's resistance training. And so you're not going to get, there's, if you want to get big, it's, you have to really work at it. But strength training is really just strengthening the weaker muscles, strengthening the muscles that need more endurance to play your instrument. And the more you train the, the muscles that need that endurance and you increase that endurance, the less you're going to hurt. And that's all it is. Instead of just depending on the weight of the instrument to provide the resistance you need, because Okay, so you play trombone, right? You don't play it on one on the other side of your body. You only play it on the one side of your body, right? So that obviously is going to create some muscle imbalances. Muscle imbalances are not bad. You don't ask a pitcher to pitch with both arms. It's not it's not a bad thing, right? But if we neglect the muscles around and the the weaker muscles and we don't ever train them, that could lead to a more severe imbalance like what I had. And then if we don't increase the endurance of those muscles, then that imbalance could get worse and lead to injury. So strength training is, is something really basic and something that you can do without having to do a whole lot. Like the, the book that I wrote is it, it, it didn't come out of the pandemic. It was right before. And so it was just, I could not have timed it better because I wrote this, published it and then republished it during the pandemic. And it's basically about, um, 
basic strength training you can do with little to no equipment. And it's the basic stuff you need to know to keep your body healthy. This is what bracing is. This is what good form is. This is why you need to do this. And it's nothing like, you know, it's not CrossFit, but if you want to get into CrossFit, here's the stuff you need to know to do it safely. You know, everybody's got a different path. Yeah. I want to get into specific exercises or approaches that you recommend to musicians at one point. I'm curious, what do you say to people that worry about the risk of injury from strength training and how, okay, I'm sure maybe I buy the idea that if I lift weights, it will help me potentially reduce the risk of overuse injuries from playing. But what if I get hurt at the gym? Isn't that riskier? Like, how do you deal with that particular objection? That's absolutely fair. I mean, my second injury was from that because I had no idea what I was doing. But if you, if you understand what, I mean, the basics of form are not necessarily taught in a magazine. Definitely not. (laughs) No, no. So, I mean, and it's not that difficult, but it's just understanding. So increasing your body awareness and understanding good form is going to go a long way. And that's something that musicians need anyway. The more body awareness you have, the better you're going to play your instrument. Um, My teacher at Florida State was big into dynamic integration, which is based off Feldenkrais. And she would have us stand on one leg all the time. She would constantly say, do you feel your feet when you play? She was Swiss. So, I mean, she was constantly having us redirect ourselves towards the ground through the rest of our body. Well, what do the backs of your knees feel like? What does the underside of your nose feel like? What does the inside of your elbow on the left side feel like? Can you feel your big toe? I mean, she just constantly redirected us to the rest of our body because we get so wrapped up in our headspace, right? So increasing your body awareness goes a long way towards preventing that injury. And thinking you could get injured in the gym is absolutely true, but you have probably a better chance of getting in a car accident. And we don't think twice about that. So, I mean, it just comes down to educating yourselves on the basics. And if, you, if you're if you still uncomfortable with that, have a session with a trainer who can coach you through it. I mean, that's why you hire uh, a teacher on your instrument, hire a coach for your body. It's the same thing. And your body is your first instrument. Shouldn't you take more care of that instead of waiting till it breaks down? Because your body's going to break down before your instrument does. Yeah, that reflects a big piece of my own philosophy when I work with musicians. You are a musician, yes, and you have whatever unique needs you play, you have to play your instrument or to sing or whatever it is that you're doing. But before that, you're a human being in a human body. And human bodies, we're not robots. We don't live in this head are we, I, you know, if we want to be healthy, we don't live in a head that's disconnected from our body. And our bodies evolved for better or for worse to need certain things. And one of those things is strength. Like if we are not strong, we actually become at greater risk of injury in other ways. So the example that I use a lot, I live in Chicago, it gets icy this time of year, you know, people slip and fall, it happens. And if you are strong and, and fit and, and powerful and all the things that we develop in the gym, your likelihood of getting some sort of catastrophic injury from a freak accident like slipping on the ice is actually less. Now, we can't directly prevent some of these things from happening. There's not like clean statistical lines or whatever, but like you're a lot less likely to seriously hurt yourself doing other things in life if you have this foundational level of strength. And that's not even talking about all of the joint health benefits and the muscle benefits that go into keeping you healthy while you're playing your instrument. There's like layers of benefits that you get. So yes, I agree with you. You're I mean, I'm sure that you're statistically way more likely to get hurt in a car accident than you are at the gym. But we are just bombarded sometimes with like scare stories and fail videos and things like that, which I'm not really a huge fan of because it keeps people out of the gym. That's not to anyone listening. That's not the norm of a gym experience. And like you said, that if you're really worried, that's one of the biggest benefits of doing in-person personal training with an experienced coach, you know, someone like Angela or hopefully like I would consider myself in this group as well, someone who understands how to coach form, how to work through if you've got some issues where you don't know how to move a certain way because you haven't done it, you're a little stiff, like a trainer can help you and they can teach you the skills you need to go into the gym and then feel confident and then be able to train harder so you can actually get all the benefits that we're talking about. So yeah, the risk conversation is a tricky one because I understand the, the fear, especially in the musical community where you rely on your body. But really, if you don't exercise and if you don't strength train, you're everyone's going to get hurt at some point on their instrument or not. So you might as well put yourself in a better position to recover from that and not have it be as, as catastrophic, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, I think most of the musicians that, um, that I've had that conversation with are more afraid of hurting their fingers 
I have rarely seen anybody hurt a finger in the gym. It's the only rare. time I've ever seen it. Actually, I don't even I was going to say someone dropping a weight plate, but I haven't seen that on a finger. I've seen that on a toe, but not right. a finger. I don't think I've ever seen a single finger injury at the gym now that you mention it. I mean, like I've, I've pinched a finger between a weight plate every once in a while, but I've also done that in the car door on accident. Sure. You know? Those things <laughs> happen. So it's more the, the, the things that I see are more when people don't strength train, their shoulders get out of balance and they get weak. And a lot of musicians are hypermobile. Oh yeah. yeah. But I am seeing this come up more and more often. I'm so glad this is a conversation we're finally having about people, the hypermobility. And a lot of females have this as well. Like their, their joints are just more lax than their male counterparts. And so if you don't strength train, the, your, your propensity towards injury is going to be higher because you don't have that stability you need. And it's not like you have to be lifting, you know, 800 pounds, um, but just doing some basic band work on the regular can go a huge way to making you feel strong, making you feel stable. And, and then, in, you know, obviously increasing your endurance, but that's the stuff you see more. It's not the finger stuff. It's not the forearm stuff. That's part of it, but it's the bigger joints that we really need to depend on to play our instruments, your hips, your shoulders, those are the two big ones. And then of course your ankles and your neck. I mean, but if, and then your core overall, and if those are not working strong and well together, it's gonna travel down the chain. And that's where we feel the, the pain and injury in your wrist. But you know, like if you feel it in your wrist, a lot of times it's stemming from the forearm, which could come from the elbow, which could really come from the shoulder or from the neck. You know, it's not as just cut and dried as it seems, but the, the finger injuries, you, you, don't, you don't see those. You do see people with shoulder problems. A lot of shoulder training. problems, yeah. Yeah, it can really alleviate a lot of that. I love that you said the hips because I think because a lot of musicians are either, I mean, a lot of times we're just sitting, right? Or we're standing. And so we don't think our hips are involved. Maybe we're a little more cognizant of our shoulders and upper body, but your, your body is not this like disjointed collection of parts. Everything is like literally connected with fascial, tissue and like all kinds of other things, not to mention nerves. And what's going on in one part of the body is very often responsible or at least connected to what's going on elsewhere. So if you have pain in your hands, a lot of times it's not necessarily an issue at the hands. I know you talk about this a lot. It could be issues coming from, from weaknesses or tightness elsewhere in the body. So when you are training, that's why it's so important to take a balanced, well-rounded approach and think about how your body is actually supposed to work as a global unit versus saying, oh, it, when I work with non-musicians, it's the same thing. People might say, oh, my knee hurts. So they want to focus on the knee. Well, what's what's actually causing the knee issue is often going on at the foot or the hip and so, or even in the upper body. Neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's not so simple and that's why taking like i said a well-balanced approach is really helpful i also like that you mentioned hypermobility i definitely think a lot of people don't even know that this is a thing i think we have this cultural idea that the more flexible and bendy you are the better and that's actually not true oh I have a family member. Actually, I'm a little hypermobile myself, although not as much as this family member. And you can end up with some really crazy injuries. She sprained her thoracic spine, which is like, how do you even do? I mean, if you know anything about anatomy, how do you even do that? It's That's like impressive. it's like a very mobile part of the body that has a lot of potential. Anyways, hypermobility can be just as problematic as being really stiff. And it I think that people who are hypermobile, they tend to, I mean, we all do this. We want to do things we're good at. So a lot of times people that are hypermobile are the ones doing a ton of yoga when in reality, what they need is not, I mean, do yoga if you love it. You like the, all the benefits, that's fine. But what you need physically is more strength training. You need more stability. You need your joints to be more centered when you're moving. You don't need to be able to do like Cirque du Soleil level <laughs> acrobatics or anything like that. Right. So right. let's, Let's shift to what I mentioned a little bit ago. I'm curious if you have, so, okay, let me back up. I know you wrote a bunch of guides, essential exercises for each instrument, which I think is really cool. And after going through that project, I want to know if there are anything, or even just in your coaching in general, any uh, exercises or approaches that you think most, let's just say instrumental musicians would benefit from, like are there stuff that you're doing a lot with people or specific exercises or approaches that you think are especially helpful for people to know? So as I mentioned in the beginning, the one source of pain I hear more than any other is pain behind the shoulder blade. So the muscles there that tend to be the culprits are the rhomboids. And if you, if you get my book, I've got a little goofy muscle man in the front. 
you can google a little uh, anatomy image too in the meantime but you should definitely yes, get angela's book <laughs> yes so so look at the anatomy of the upper back um you've got these muscles called the rhomboids which go from the thoracic spine to the inside of the shoulder blade they retract they pull your shoulder blades together you also have the levator scapula which runs up along the side of the shoulder blade and up into the neck which elevates the shoulder blade you also have the mid traps. So you have upper traps, mid traps, low traps. They work together, but the mid traps are also following along with rhomboids. All three of those can be weak and they can be tight and they can be tight and weak, which is just a recipe for ouch, basically. So what I see nine times out of 10, I mean, and it doesn't necessarily matter what instrument you play. Um, I'm trying to figure out if there's, if there's an instrument that hasn't had this problem. Uh, nope, so far it's been about everybody that you have an imbalance between the front of your body and the back of your body. So the pain behind the shoulder blade is the one I see the most, like I mentioned, and it's because it's weak. Well, what's the culprit on the other side? It's your pectoralis muscles, pec major, pec minor. Those are the ones, so if you put your hand on your chest, right below your shoulder, or shoulder blade, right, behind, right below your collarbone, and you move your arm forward, you're gonna feel that muscle contract, right? So then, put your hand on your chest and hunch forward. You'll also feel that contract. So then you think about, <clears throat> excuse me, you think about the postures that we use to play our instruments, the postures we use in daily living, whether it's typing or driving or cooking or whatever, it's all towards the front. And those shoulder blades just get pulled forward. So if we can retract those shoulder blades, if we can correct the muscle imbalance between the front and the back, you're going to have a lot less pain. So the exercises I give the most are to take a uh, lacrosse ball or a massage gun or whatever you have handy. If you only have your hands, that's better than nothing. And that's to release the tight spots in your chest. For flute players, they're going to be more on the left than the right. You know, for bassoon players, it's going to be more on the left than the right, stuff like that. But you're going to have uh, some trigger points in here. You're going to feel some things that are tender, that roll. And those really shouldn't be that pronounced. I mean, they're going to be there, but they shouldn't be that much. So what you want to do is you're going to press right in the middle of those, those trigger points, and you're going to hold them until they calm down. And you can also do a stretch in the meantime. So a lot of times I'll have people press on them and then bring their arm back at the same time. Um, but my favorite thing is to, so, you know, in the corrective exercise continuum, we have to relax what's overworking, then we have to stretch it, and then you strengthen what's underworking because it's been inhibited. So I get a, a lot of people are like, well, why can't I just strengthen it? Why do I have to do all this stretching? Isn't stretching before exercise bad? It depends. It is the biggest. <laughs> As usual. The biggest thing. Yes. But what we're doing, and I had a residency with the Army Fife and Drum Corps last week, and I explained this probably about a bajillion times. It's like, no, we're only, the reason we're stretching these muscles before you work out is because we're trying to calm down the ones that are overactive. They're doing too much. They are preventing the weaker muscles from functioning the way they're supposed to. So if you don't give those guys a chance to calm down, the underactive ones are not going to have a chance to actually engage properly. So relaxing that muscle with some palpation and some trigger point pressing, and then following it up with a chest stretch where you're actually doing an active chest stretch. So if you put your, for flute players, you put your left arm in the doorway, right? It's not this passive one you see physical therapists give a lot. Nothing against physical therapists, but this is not a passive stretch. Um, you put your arm in the doorway, you squeeze your shoulder blade towards your spine. So that's going to activate the rhomboids and mid traps. And then you're going to turn away. So you're not going forward, putting stress on the shoulder joint. You're holding it into place, keeping it stable and happy. Then you're turning away. So you're actually stretching that muscle while you're activating the one on the opposite side. So there's a muscle or uh, there's a law called Sherrington's law that at least I think it's Sherrington's. I always want to say, say the wrong name, but it basically states that you cannot contract two opposing muscle forces at the same time. So if your chest is tight and you squeeze your shoulder blade, one of them has to chill out. They, you, you can't squeeze two at the same time, right? So that's what makes it effective. And then we follow that up with some strength training moves like band pull-aparts. Those are one of my favorites. Or, you know, overhand bend pull-aparts, no money drills. Let's see. Those are, those are the ones that come to mind first. But uh, those, are, those are some of my absolute favorites because those rhomboids, prone tees, if you don't have any bands, that is my absolute favorite. And most people can't do prone tees uh, properly because they don't have body awareness. So they lock their knees, they bend over from their low back instead of keeping their knees soft and bending from the hip joint, keeping their spine neutral. So what I do is I start with their hands out straight, palms up, squeeze your shoulder blades down and come out into a T and just squeeze your shoulder blades. And if that feels like weak 
kind of painful, but nice, you know, that's what you need to do. And then prone just means you're going to go against gravity. So you can do it over a ball. If you don't have that kind of body awareness, keep your spine happy. You can do it over a bench, those kinds of things. Just work your way down. But those are, that's probably the thing I see the absolute most, especially in musicians. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm thinking in my head, unless you're a pianist or a percussionist, most of us, if not all of us, are holding an instrument on one side. And and like you said, the activities of daily life are also in that same position. So especially if you spend, we all spend a lot of time typing and on our phones, uh, we are very rounded. And so that front part of the body gets really tight, the back part gets weak. And so addressing both of those issues can really make a big difference. What about core training? Because one thing that I've seen and experienced actually myself, so I'll back up, when I was before my days as a fitness person, I used to have obesity. And when I was in music school, um, I had a lot of back pain when I was playing. And it would be like I would I would sit in a long rehearsal and my back would just start killing me. And I'd have to sort of round slouch forward to like give myself a break. And when I got stronger and when I lost a little bit of weight, what I realized was that my core was super weak. And that was really affecting my ability to concentrate and give my best in these rehearsals and performances. So that's just one example of a way that core training can help. I mean, there is also a huge connection between your core and your upper body and your hips. That's really the function of your core. It is like the thing in the middle that helps you transfer force or whatever from your lower body to your upper body. It's the thing that protects your spine while you're moving your arms and legs. So there's a bunch of benefits, but I'm curious how you like to approach core training with your clients or if there are specific exercises that you think might be helpful for people to try. Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% correct. Uh, and it's something else I also like to mention is that your core is actually everything but your appendages. Yeah, it's not so just your abs, not just your six pack. It's it is a abs. whole bunch of stuff. Yes. Yeah, it's also your glutes. It's your lats. Your, deep, your lats, your back, your chest, all of that. And it's the deep stuff. And that's what I find most is what's lacking the deep stuff, like the transverse abdominus being a big one. Um, pelvic floor somewhat. The diaphragm is also included in that, but you're not, we're not, I'm, I do not train your diaphragm. I mean, that's an involuntary muscle, right? So I focus a lot on glutes and transverse abdominis because the two work really well together and they tend to be underactive in most people. So the first step, especially if somebody has never done any kind of this stuff before is I'll ask them to, okay, so we're going to learn how to brace. Well, what does that mean? Okay. Well, so if somebody is going to come up and punch you, what would you do? You'd go, <gasps> you'd draw in, right? You wouldn't bring your face towards your attacker. You wouldn't crunch. <laughs> that would be kind of stupid, right? No, you would brace. You'd go, <gasps> and that's what that, that's what activating the TVA feels like in a very simplistic sense. And so just holding that throughout the day is going to make it stronger. You can do it while you're standing in line getting groceries, at the bank, while you're driving. You should be able to brace your spine and talk and breathe. It's not so hard that you can't do all of those. So that's, that's one. And then I do, I, I want to say dead bugs and bridges are my two favorite exercises. They both, you know, dead bugs especially suck, but <laughs> they suck to do well. It's easy to do them not well and miss the entire point. And people go, I don't feel this. What's this doing? And you slow them down and you get them to really like, you're talking about bracing. I like to cue people to push their back into the ground. So sometimes if they're really struggling, I'll put a band under and I'll try to pull it out and then they know what I mean. Um, but yeah, doing them correctly to actually get the kind of benefits that Angela's talking about is a whole nother matter than just quickly move, you know, moving your arms and legs. <laughs> yes, likewise. So that's definitely something I do as well is that um, what I'll tell people is, okay, I want you to pull your low back into the ground, hold it there like your life depends on it. The arms, because what we see when you see an exercise on YouTube or whatever, we're just seeing the motion. There's all this squeezing and pushing and pulling and stuff that's going on that you don't see. And that's what's most important, right? It's not the flailing of the arms and the legs. Yes, you should look like a dying cockroach when you're doing this correctly, but that's not, that's not the most important part. The most important part is that you're holding your low back into the ground and how, in, how you're doing that is not just with a pelvic tilt. You're pulling your belly button into your spine. You're bracing. And then notice, is your head off the ground? Okay, relax your head. Your neck doesn't need to be involved in this, right? Are you crunching? Are you rounding on any of this? So like exactly what she said. So doing dead bugs. Um, and then I pair them with bridges because I find that a lot of us have lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome. You know, our low backs are tight. 
our low abs, so to speak, are weak, our glutes are weak, we get that X and then same with the upper body and doing those two together really works well, especially with lower cross. You get the glutes that are weak and then the TVA that's weak. So if we're doing bridges and you're just squeezing the fire out of your butt, I mean, that is gonna go a long way towards getting that TVA to also work in conjunction. And then it starts to change your brain with, oh, so this is how it works. And then you change, start changing your body awareness. So then when we integrate that into a movement, like, like, uh, like one of my favorites is a goblet squat onto a bench, because it's not about holding the goblet. It's about the motion of keeping your knees where they need to go, hinging from your hips. And if you can't brace and you don't know where your hips are, well, it's not gonna really help. So that's why bridges actually work well with that. Dead bugs work well. Plus most people are weak in those areas. Yeah, definitely. I find too, it's also helpful to find a way to activate your your lats and your glutes kind of together. So with a lot of core exercises, if you just do them with body weight, uh, especially if you don't have a lot of context on how to create the kind of bracing or stability that we're talking about. If you're pulling on something, like doing an isometric pull where you're pulling on something, it's not moving, your lattice is going to turn on. And all of a sudden like that, you start to feel your core working. So sometimes if you're struggling, especially with things like planks, where unfortunately a lot of people have learned some bad form habits and they just start, you look at them and they're sort of hanging on their joints for dear life. It's not really, there's not really much stability to be spoken for there. When you add some sort of an external pull, uh, that can be really helpful. So just for anybody listening, if you're struggling with any of your core exercises, planks, dead bugs, even bridges, you can pull a band apart or you can pull a light sandbag or something apart. Finding a way to get that connection between the lats and the upper body and then the rest of your core, sometimes that really does the trick. 100%. When you're, because you do a lot of one-on-one and then online coaching with clients, when you're writing a workout program for a musician, what are some of the, besides the specific things we've talked about already, are there any other big picture things you want to make sure you're including or things you're thinking about as you're writing the program? Like what's most important to you when you're, when you're building those workout programs? Well, everybody's different, right? So, I mean, that was one of the hard things that I found about writing the instrument specific workouts was realizing that, okay, I can't be person specific here. You know, everybody's created differently. Everybody moves a little differently. Everybody's got different backgrounds, but I had to back up and go, okay, what are the similarities with people who play this instrument? What are the postures and the movements? So when it comes to that, um, what I, how I try to program stuff is that I'm always going to put the corrective stuff in the front and it, it, at the beginning, because if your body's not working well, and then we put it under load, you're gonna have a greater propensity for injury or problems, right? So, but I mean, at the same time, sometimes you have to load something to be able to know how it works. Like it's very hard to do a deadlift with no resistance. Impossible, one would say. It's impossible. <laughs> you just don't understand, right? So, so how I do stuff is I always start with everybody with, with foam rolling if they need it. I say everybody, not every everybody, but 98% of everybody. We're going to start with foam rolling what's, what's overactive. And then we follow that up with some stretches. We follow that up with some activation stuff. And then we get into core. And then I integrate that into whole body strength training. And sometimes I'll throw the core in with the strength training instead of before. It just kind of depends on time. Or am I doing like a circuit type? I do a lot of circuit type stuff instead of doing uh, straight sets, because straight sets are great for increasing endurance. But at the same time, I find that a lot of people mentally check out and they get bored. And so going from thing to thing or doing, I, I do a lot of supersets or, or giant sets, that kind of thing. It keeps people more engaged mentally. And it also keeps their heart rate up. Sometimes that's more of what they need. And um, that's, that's how I generally tend to program. And I'll put say, Every once in a while, I'll throw some plyometrics in there. I'll do some like battle ropes or stuff. But I usually do it at the end instead of in the middle because musicians tend to wear out, as do most of us. And so if you put it at the end, they leave feeling like they've done a whole lot. They feel really good. They feel really strong instead of feeling weak in the middle. I love that you said you do core training first. This was something that I changed in my programming thanks to some coaches that I worked with, I just saw that they did it and I liked it a lot better. The problem, so what most people do when they do their own workouts, they're following these workouts from magazines or whatever, is they do core training at the end. And so a couple of things happen. First of all, you skip it because <laughs> you're tired, like you said, and it 
kind of, I mean, maybe some people like training core, but sometimes it can kind of be not the most exciting thing in the world. So you're, you say, oh, I'll do it next time. And then you never do it. So that's one thing that happens. And then the other thing is that you're so fatigued that you don't get the full benefits. So we just spent a whole section talking about the body awareness, posture benefits of core training. So that applies not just to playing your instrument, but it applies to the lifts that you're gonna do. So I find that when you do core training at the end of a warm up and before you lift, you actually are probably better prepared to use better form on your big lifts. So that's a big benefit of that as well. And yeah, I also will sometimes do finishers at the end. And I, I like that too. And if you're someone who, so there's a continuum, I would say of people that are cool doing basically the same things at the gym all the time and people who at least tell themselves with this a conversation for another time that they need a lot of variety and so if you've accepted that maybe you need to re do some rep some repetitive things or maybe some things that aren't super exciting constantly changing one way that you can increase the enjoyment factor of your workouts is doing some of those finishers at the end you can play with a bunch of different gym toys you can move fast you can wear yourself out at the end i think that's like a good compromise between what a lot of people do when they go to the gym which is always doing random things and then always doing the same exact thing which is it can be boring for sure so it's a good compromise i'm not going to do sled pushes in the middle of my workout no or you'd be toast. toast unless they were they the really end. light i i know sometimes people will do them with a really light weight just to warm up their joints and stuff but i don't think that's sure. what you're talking about you're talking about that heavy fast <laughs> etc yeah and what you were saying about core work that's exactly why i put it in there because like we we're talking about activating the tva i mean if you're if you don't if that muscle is not quote turned on your your bigger lifts and your uh, your more global stuff is not going to work as well. For sure. One other thing I just want to point out to anyone listening, and we sort of talked about this earlier, is make sure you're doing lower body training, even though you're a musician. This is a really easy trap to fall into is just training from the, I guess, hips up. So I guess if we're talking about core training, you say, okay, I know I'll do core training. I'm going to do upper body and then skip your legs. But as we already mentioned, it's all connected. And then just from a general health standpoint, it's pretty important to have at least some decent strength in your legs because you want your legs to be able to carry you around and do all the things that you want to do both in your profession and in your personal life. So don't skip lower body. I know Angela does lower body with her clients because I see it on her Instagram. So <laughs> true. well, think about it. Like if you, so I was at a, I was at a flute day over at Tennessee Tech this past Saturday. I'm talking to all these high schoolers and college students and we we're talking about training lower body. And I said, well, well, you know, why do we do this? Well, think about how would your posture change if you had no legs? Or if you had one leg, your whole, I mean, it's a weird thing to think about, but you can probably imagine it. Your whole, everything would shift. How you hold the instrument would shift. Your core strength would be different. And so you don't just play your instrument with your arms or with your embouchure or with your upper body. You play your instrument with your entire body and the body doesn't work in isolation. So if you didn't have any legs, would you play a little different? Yeah, that's why they're important. And it doesn't mean, you know, just standing. Your whole posture change sitting, especially if like, have you ever had like a foot injury and then you notice your posture is different even when you're sitting, that kind of stuff. So your lower body is extremely important. Uh, it also transfers to like the low back, especially with drummers. I see this a lot with drummers and, and tuba players and trombonists and, you know, that or bass players. Oh my gosh, bass players. Y'all, y'all are just anything large. <laughs> yes, yes. And pianists, you know, your low back, it's not just the core that's, that could be weak. That transfers all the way down, right? And so I'll train a lot of people who have no balance. They have no deep core strength and their legs are just all over the place and their glutes are not firing. And being able to have strong, uh, that strong base transfers up, like you were saying. It's super important. Absolutely. Especially. It feels good. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, well, I I think it's fun. When you do fun. lower body lifting, <laughs> you're naturally going to be able to move a little bit more weight and that can be fun. It's empowering to go into the gym and say, wow, I used to think of myself, this is going to actually transition me into what I wanted to ask you next, but I used to think of myself as this weak, unathletic person and now I can deadlift all this weight. Like I've seen that in so many clients and that's that's one of the more fun benefits of strength training. So what I wanted to ask you next, we've had this whole conversation about benefits and some ideas of what to do. What would you say or what do you say when you have people who feel really intimidated or feel like they don't fit in? So this 
used to be me, unlike a lot of trainers, but probably like a lot of musicians, I was not good at sports. I was very clumsy and awkward. I felt really disconnected from my body. I was literally the kid picked last from kickball, you know, so I had all this baggage about sports and what people who work out are like. And I think this is really common in music. And obviously I've changed that part of my identity tremendously, but what do you say and what do you work with people who are feeling insecure, not sure they fit in. How do they get started? How do they work through that? I so relate to this. I do not sports. <laughs> Reason I pick up heavy things is there is no hand-eye coordination involved. Very true. <laughs> I mean, I grew up playing tennis and I love it, but I'm still not great at it and I never will be. And that's okay. You know, but okay. So yeah, I totally relate to this. And um, even even after the last bit, I've had a, a lingering injury. And so just getting back into a, a lingering injury, plus then I had a bike accident and then I actually hired a trainer that did not help me. And so now I'm behind. So now I'm feeling incredibly weak in a lot of areas. So I am back to beginner space. And so I'm kind of in that space again myself. And what I am finding is very helpful is A, do something. B, give yourself grace. You do not have to compare yourself to anybody else. Where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. And your progress is going to look a little different. And it doesn't matter if you don't have the most, you know, perfect body and you're not an Instagram model and the best leggings and all of that. It doesn't matter. You're, they're not you. They have a different path. You have a different path. So give yourself a little grace and, and also take the mindset of experimentation, being excited of, Hey, how's this going to work? How's this going to feel? What's different about this? You know, being, um, being intrigued on something instead of it, it doesn't have to be perfect. Musicians are so good at being perfectionists. You don't have to be perfect in the gym, right? I want you to pick up something and just notice, just be observant. How does this feel to me? Where do I, okay. Am I uncomfortable? Okay, fine. You know, that's so when I have a client who uh, comes to me and they are in that situation, I celebrate every tiny win possible. So like there's a there's an exercise I love to do with people that is incredibly simple, <laughs> very difficult, and I do not give it to people on the first day. But once we progress past, you know, goblet squats and bridges and all things, we're going to do a step down. And people do step ups, no problem. But step down, it's like, I don't want your knee traveling forward. You're going to hinge from the hips. People have no body awareness about the hips. I mean, especially the older you are, right? And so getting them, it's also like a one leg balance strength move and it's deceptively easy looking and it's not. And the minute they get it, the minute they hinge right, the minute they got the balance right, they make a comment. It's like, we're going to go, woohoo, we're going to celebrate it. It's like, look, you got it. See, you can move your body. You can, you do know how to move yourself and take care of yourself. So, so finding those little wins to celebrate, finding what you like, finding what you're good at, also celebrating the stuff you suck at when you get a little bit better at it, you know? I mean, having sometimes having a buddy is helpful. Take some of that um, intimidation out of it. Having a trainer is also helpful because they're just there with you and they should be focused on you. They should not, FYI, be on their phones. That is a huge pet peeve of mine. When a, when a trainer is like just telling you to do stuff and they're playing on their phone, what are you paying them for? You can do the same thing with YouTube. Nuh-uh, no, fire them. Nope, not okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's a rant. But you know, like a trainer should be in their in their in your corner. That's like a private lesson teacher, but it's for your body. They should be coaching you and helping you. And that's it, it should be a sense of an okay space. They're here to help you. And that we're just gonna celebrate every little win along the way. And pretty soon you're gonna feel so much better and you're gonna be excited, and then you're gonna be that person at the other end of the spectrum. But it takes some time. Such good advice. It's so important not to compare yourself. I think of myself as an example. So I think about when I was first going to the gym at Northwestern where I went to school and it was full of frat bros and I felt so out of place and I thought everybody was looking at me, which of course they weren't. They were all looking at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> and so I think about how intimidated I was. And then I imagine like if myself back then saw myself now at the gym doing some of the stuff I was doing, I probably would think, wow, this person... I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It sounds, sounds like I am, but <laughs> this person is really into it, really knows what they're doing. And I would never imagine that, that I at one point was the same insecure, uncertain. So you really 
don't know. And as I mentioned, most people at the gym are really not concerned with you. Everybody is literally looking at themselves in the mirror <laughs> the whole time and they only are. focusing on themselves, which is totally fine. I think people notice you a lot less than you think. <laughs> <laughs> also, put on some music. It'll, yeah, it'll help exactly. everybody else Or out. if you can, go to the gym at an off time or even, I mean, a yes. lot of my musician clients work out at home. And yeah. that's not necessarily for this reason, but that can be a great way to not worry about that and build some of those skills and build some of that confidence. The other thing you said that I really love that I have said in my content and coaching a lot is it's, it is so important to do something that you like. So yes we're talking about optimal maybe approaches to strength training and in a perfect world there might be sort of certain things that you would be doing or, or people would be doing oh hi cat for everyone who's not who's listening angela's cat just came on the screen it's very cute <laughs> um but you know if you're really struggling to work out it's probably indefinite not probably it's definitely better to just do something that's fun and gets your body moving and then even as you're continuing on in your movement journey, it's so important to have some stuff that's just fun and feels good and that you're doing just because. Like it doesn't all have to be so serious. And sometimes that is the way that you get an in into movement. So maybe you go to a dance class or maybe you go to a climbing gym or you play a pickup game with your friends. Pickleball, <laughs> yes, pickleball is huge now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like those are, those still count as exercise. So maybe you're not getting all of the like 100% benefits of strength training, but it can help you build an exercise habit and start to see yourself as a person who likes to move. And then that can open more doors and let you try other stuff as well. So I really love that you said that. Also, everything counts. Yes, it all it counts for sure. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes right now. It doesn't have to be a certain time. It does not have to be a certain intensity. Literally everything counts. So if, if you went on a walk, it counts. You know, we had a we had a podcast episode um, back when I was doing our podcast, and it was all about that. We had this whole thing. There's this book called the science. What is it called? The science. No sweat. I found this was really interesting. The simple science of motivation can bring you a lifetime of fitness. I'll it put it great. in the show notes too for people. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. And one of the things that that she harped on was just everything counts. Give yourself credit for all of it. You know, because we think if I don't go in the practice room for an hour or three, it didn't count. My mental, quote, mental practice doesn't count. No, no, no. It all counts because it all adds up. And there's another book called The Slight Edge by- uh, I think Jeffrey Jeff Olson. Olson, yeah. Yes, that is brilliant because, you know, the whole the thing about, was it the lily pads? They cover the, how they, or no, the water lilies. They start out as one and then they basically proliferate until they cover the whole the whole thing. It started with one. And it's it's finding something very small that you like to do and building on it. So we say 10% better every day, but what does that look like? Well, I, I don't know, but is there something that you can build in consistency, something that's easy to do, but also easy not to do, but is small. And you just build on that little by little. And then you suddenly you look back and make time, like put it in your planner to look back and be like, all right, let's take some measurements, whether what, what it doesn't be body composition measurements. It could be weight measurements. It could be time measurements. It could be whatever has my sleep gotten better, whatever you want to track. But like make a point, okay, in four weeks, I'm going to find out where I am just, and not as a, not as a judgment, but as a point of, Ooh, what did I do? This is exciting. Right. And that's how we can keep judgment out of it make it fun and, and stick with it. Yes. I think a blend of seriousness and fun is what it takes to get the most out of fitness and to keep doing it for life. Because I, I say get the most, because at a certain point, there might be some things that you need to do in terms of cardio training or strength training to get a certain result. But also if it's all serious, most people aren't gonna stick with that. And especially people listening to this, if they were gonna stick with that, they would already be some sort of professional athlete or bodybuilder or strength athlete, whatever. But we're, we're musicians and we have a lot of interests. And so yes, you have to take it seriously and work hard and be intelligent, but also fun is important. And it should be fun, like moving your body should be a joyful thing ultimately. Yeah. And something else I want to say is that I hear this frequently. People compare themselves to how they used to be. Oh, yeah. All the time people do this. Of course. I do it as well. I think back to graduate school. Well, I worked out every day. Well, I had this. I, my life was completely different. I did not own a home. I did not. I was not self-employed. I was in school and that's all I had to do. And I had a set schedule and now I don't. You cannot compare yourself. Yes, you can. And be like, OK, this is something I can strive to get back to. But don't hold yourself to the standard of where you were because you're in a completely different spot. 
So give yourself some grace again by looking back and being like, yes, I am capable of that. But maybe now I'm capable of doing that in a different way. And I might not ever get back to exactly where I was, but I can use that as a benchmark and then go towards something different instead of constantly striving for the past. Yeah, it's a very unhelpful way to think about it. And it speaks to our desire for linearity, I think, in general. But it's just not it's not really possible to continuously get better in a linear way. So for example, if you're setting a PR on a squat or something like you know, you cannot just add weight forever. Like it doesn't happen. So even if you were a really dedicated, serious strength athlete, you can't. So everybody, as we get older and as we get more experience, we have to find other ways to celebrate our progress and to consider the context of our entire life. Because like you said, life changes and you get different responsibilities and changes will happen to your body and things like that. So I think that continuing to find things to celebrate and the different ways to look at it is really important. If you're always comparing yourself to how much you weighed in college or how much you squatted 20 years ago, or I guess bench press, the one I hear a lot from um, guys, not to stereotype is, oh, I benched this in high school. It's like, well, what what do I say to that? You know, what do you, what's important to you now? Like, what are you doing now to within the context of your life and everything you're dealing with? Give yourself the best chance to like live a good life. You know, that's what I care more about than how much you used to bench or even how much you bench right now. Right? To be honest, <laughs> truth, truth, hundred percent truth. Awesome. Well, that feels like a good place, a nice positive note to maybe wrap this up. So I would love for you to share where people can find more about you. I know you're all over the internet doing all kinds of things. If there's any, also any projects or things you have in the pipeline that you want to uh, bring to people's awareness, you know, share away, where can we find you? What should we look for? Sure. So you can find me on my website at musicstrong.com on all the socials at music, strong fitness, Instagram, music, strong on Facebook, music, strong fitness training on YouTube. And Flute Angel with a J at Twitter. I'm not really active there. Angela.McHouston on LinkedIn. I think that's basically everything. Oh, I'm on TikTok. Music's drawing something. Um, Anyway, you type that in, you'll find me. I'll drop most of that in the show (laughs) notes as well for people. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm all over there. Um, I've got got a bunch of stuff coming up. But the, the main thing that I'm working on, I think you probably saw this, is that, well, I've got some instrument specific workouts that are available for download. You guys can download those right away. They're an hour to an hour and a half tutorial type. Plus they include, so it's the video where I explain everything about the how and the why, and then we go through it together. And then I also have the downloadable uh, workout with bonus videos. So you have it there you can incorporate it into whatever you're already doing or do it as is. Um, you can also grab my book, which is called the musician's essential exercises. You can get it on my website or on Amazon and it's in print or it's an ebook format. I also have the, uh, the playlist of all the exercises in video format on my YouTube channel. So um, that's some major stuff. I've also got uh, a program called the COVID Comeback Challenge, which is a six-week intensive or a 16-week comprehensive uh, workout program that you can do that I designed for musicians who took too much time off and needed to get back into something so you can join that and there's there's a whole bunch more to it. And I've also got a job security coaching program, which basically gets into the gets into the how and the why of why we get injured and what to do about it. So if you're like a teacher or somebody who wants to start being the change in the world and really be able to uh, change how we get injuries and how we can prevent injuries, that's something that we can talk about. But the big thing Um, that I'm working on right now is that I am working on opening a musician's wellness center here in Nashville. And that's my big project that I'm really excited about Um, working on that with a bunch of really great people right now. So the the goal is to have every kind of modality in house, everything from uh, personal training and physical therapy to massage and acupuncture and cryotherapy and float tanks and meal prep and nutrition and counseling and financial counseling and et cetera, et cetera. Because like we were saying, your body is not disjunct, you know, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, and your creativity are not separate parts that live outside of you. They're all in one body and they all need to be treated as such. So 
if you're mentally, you're not in the right space, physically, you're not going to be in the right space, et cetera. So we want to address all of that. So I'm looking for practitioners, preferably that are musicians, have a musician background, or just passionate about working musicians. So we're going to be doing that. If you'd love to be a part of that, or and it's not just a gym, because I hear this all the time that musicians don't really want to get in the gym. I get that. This is going to be the safe space for musicians to hang out. And hopefully it will be the place where we combine holistic medicine plus traditional medicine. So we'll have GPs and surgeons. We're also going to have massage, you know, <laughs> all the things. So that's what I'm working on. And if you know anybody who would like to be involved in that in any way, or you just think it's cool, drop me a line, Angela at musicstrong.com, send me a note. Let's, let's continue this conversation because, you know, the more we talk about it, the less stigma there is. And there's no reason you should ever be blamed for having an, in, having an injury. You just need to know what to do about it. Awesome. So much cool stuff. I love that project. Thank you. And yeah, if, if, if you're in Nashville, whether you're a musician or uh, somebody on the practitioner side, definitely you should get in touch and connect with Angela. Awesome. Um, any last words, thoughts, anything you wanted to say that we didn't cover? No, not really. But thank you so much for having me on this. And I absolutely love what you're doing in this space. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, likewise. And thank you so much for coming. And for everybody listening, thank you for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Building Stronger Creatives. If something you heard resonated with you, I would love for you to share this episode with someone else who might enjoy it. I also always appreciate comments, ratings, and reviews. These things help me get the word out to other creatives who could benefit from this type of information. See you back on the next episode. Until then, stay curious, stay passionate, and stay strong. Oh, 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 oh,